0: Good morning. So last week, Pastor Tony talked about this week have, having a shorter messenger. I mean, message. <laughs> you see, he, he, sorry, it was too easy. <laughs> um, He he talked about being a handyman, you know, using tools and all that. I'm not a handyman. I use my hands for two things, (laughs) to call people who are handy (laughs) and to pray. This morning we're going to be talking about prayer as it relates to our uh, creating space expecting harvest. We're looking at a familiar passage where Jesus asks his disciples to pray with a very specific prayer. And... I would ask that the song that we just sang, that you would not let those words slide by too quickly. Do you really believe that greater things are yet to come? You see, for a couple of years now, (laughs) for a number of years now here at our church, we've been focusing on this word oikos, that relational community, and in in the book that we elders have gone through and others, the sticky teams, it basically says, if your church does not roll its eyes when they hear your mission, then something's not right. When you hear the word oikos, if your eyes are not rolling, you probably haven't said it enough, and some of you are saying, all right, we got it. I heard a story of a pastor who um, preached John 3.16 every week. After a while, the elder said, when are you going to stop preaching John 3.16? He said, I'm going to stop preaching John 3.16 when you start living it. And I would say the same thing for us. We have been soaking in this, this uh, philosophy of discipleship, of oikos. We won't need to be preaching it when you start preaching it through what you do and what you say, when we all do it. If that's going to happen and when it happens, this space will not be enough. We're talking a lot about capacity. When, I was, when we w- lived in Thailand, um, one of the things that I got to do was to um, coach volleyball. And uh, for anyone who's coached uh, a sport of any kind, one of the most important things you can do is to recruit players to your team. Now, uh, coaching volleyball at a Christian school, you don't have a whole lot of big pool of people to draw from. But I remember this one guy, Justin. Justin in middle school, how tall was he? He's over six feet tall in middle school. He came out for volleyball, and I was so thrilled. He couldn't play volleyball very well, but he was big and tall. And I put him right in the front middle at the beginning of the game, and I said, Justin, I don't care what happens. That first ball you get, I want you to hit it as hard as you can. I want everyone on the other side of that net fearful and trembling that you're going to hit the next one at them. (laughs) Recruiting is so important to a team. And then, of course, training to execute what they've been called to do. Today we're going to be looking at how Jesus was doing that with his disciples. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have one, the ushers are bringing some Bibles forward for you to to, um, have. If you don't have one, this is yours to keep. We'd love for you to have God's Word. In Matthew chapter 9, well basically, think about the the calling and commissioning of Jesus' 12 disciples. It actually begins in Matthew chapter 4 and culminates in chapter 10. And during this whole time, he's, he, people are watching him. He's healing people. He's teaching. He's proclaiming. He's doing all these things. But it's in this passage here at the end of chapter 9, and even earlier in this chapter, they see him you know, uh, going through the villages, do, healing people, proclaiming truth. And we get to this passage in, in the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, and we see Jesus very intentionally implementing his strategy for ministry. And it rises and falls on prayer. John Piper says that prayer is the fuel for missions. It's what empowers all of our activities for Christ. And if we're not praying, then we're probably not doing or seeing what we need to be doing or seeing. So I wanna take some time to really look at this passage here Beginning, and we're going to basically go from ninth, chapter 9, verse 35, um, through the first couple of verses of, of, of chapter 10. So let's just look at chapter 9, verse 35, where it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Again, he, he is showing them what he wants them to do, even as He Himself does what, what He expects them to do in terms of not just saying, but also doing. One of the things, one of the things that we wrestle with on the mission field is this tension between doing, the love, doing good works of, that demonstrate the love of Christ and proclaiming the good news of Christ. And on the mission field we talk about the church planters and the community developers. And how they sometimes look at each other and say, you're not doing the work of the Lord, we are. And it shouldn't be a either-or. This is a both ends here. And Christ models that for us. By demonstrating his love, but also proclaiming who he is. Teaching, proclaiming, and healing. So he walks through the towns. And when he, because he walks through the towns, verse 36 becomes all the more important. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word saw, when Jesus saw them, he didn't see them. And I, you know, one of the things that my mom gave me was a love for bird watching. There's one of the, there's a couple of things that she gave to me, but one of them is we like to, we, how many are in here are bird watchers? I mean, you could have a pretty good idea of to, Um, when you, do bird-watching. Some, some people put up bird houses so you can see them up close, right in your back, especially in uh, the different seasons, but if you need a good pair of binoculars. Now I have to confess, I have these in my office in, at, at Lancaster Bible College where I teach. And sometimes I'm tempted to see some of the couples who are walking by. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair warning. <laughs> But there's a difference between looking through a pair of binoculars and seeing someone face to face as you walk around. Jesus didn't look through binoculars. When he said he saw them with compassion from his heart, he knew how they felt in their hearts because he was among them. This, this phrase, that says he saw them they were like harassed and helpless. There's sort of this, I f- this feeling of powerlessness, cast away, you know, wandering aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd. And so he, in his heart, it breaks. And when you look at people, I, I talk about this when we train our p- missionaries to go onto the field. When you see people, be careful because you see them in one of three ways. And I'm going to ask you if you do the same. I think we all do this. We see people in one of three ways. We, and I'm imagining right now getting off the the plane or off of the train in a major city, and on the side of the road, I see a beggar there. And I'm walking by, and I oh, look, there's a beggar. And I see that person as scenery, just like I see the bush over there or the garden over there, that nice house over there, and oh, look, there's a beggar on the side of the road. Or sometimes I see people as utility, like the taxi driver. This person is someone who gets me from here to there. I use this person to get... to do something but the third thing is do I see this person as a person see this is what it might look like you might see someone in need over here and at the head level oh look there's someone who has a need maybe someone on the side of the road with a, a, a flat tire oh look there's someone who has a flat tire or look there's someone who has a flat tire someone should probably help that person or there's someone with a flat tire let me pull over and help that person The truth is, we only have so much emotional capacity, we cannot respond to everyone at the person level. We cannot respond to everyone at that heart level. We only have so much capacity within us, so we make decisions. The problem is that we often talk ourselves out of the ones that we are supposed to engage with, especially with the, oh, someone else will do that, right? And so one of our prayers needs to be, God, help me to recognize when I am the one to engage and help me to actually do that. But in order to do that, we have to see them as they are in their needs. How many times have you had someone ask you a question when you knew that that presenting question was not the real question? My children, my family know this very well, when they'll ask me a question and I'll say, what's your real question? Dad, what are you doing tomorrow at two (laughs) o'clock? What's your real question? And oftentimes, people will ask us a question, even about our faith. But that's not the real question. The real question is I am hurting, would you please respond to me? I have doubts, can you help me work through these? I have fears, and I need someone to comfort me. And so we need to hear and see with the eyes and ears, the ears and eyes of Jesus, to be able to respond as he did. So Jesus sees these people, and he says to the disciples, and here comes the action point in the last two verses of this paragraph, in this chapter, and he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I find this interesting. One of the classes that I teach is a spiritual formation class on prayer, including prayer and other spiritual disciplines. And when we teach on prayer, one of the things that we like to emphasize is the names of God that are used in the prayers in Scripture. How many of us are guilty of using the same name for God all the time? We fall into this rut, if you will, of calling God the same thing, and He's got so many names. And each name has its specific name connotation or purpose, and so if I'm praying for God to heal someone that is very near and dear to me, I might be praying to the the great healer, to the almighty God who is powerful enough to heal this person. If I need help in knowing what to do, I might pray to the sovereign Lord who knows all things, the omniscient one. And I would encourage us to be a little more intentional in how we refer to God. Now, growing up, okay, my, name, my full name is Edward Allen Sherman. There are two people in the world who call me Eddie, and none of them is in this room. Neither of them is in this room. Most people call me Ed. Out on campus, I go by Dr. Ed. But growing up, if I heard Edward Allen, <laughs> there was some intention there, wasn't there? I either did something I wasn't supposed to do or I didn't do something I was supposed to do. It was a much more formal level of communication in the name that was chosen. And my ears perked up. Likewise, have you ever had someone take a sur- ask you, can I take a survey, can I get your opinion on something? A wise survey taker will begin with, can I get your name? And we'll use your name. Because we love to have our names used. Don't we like to hear our names? God loves to hear his names. He loves to hear us refer to him specifically in that situation. And so here, Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Because if you look at the end of the verse, it says, to send out workers into his harvest field. We talk about increasing capacity here. We talk about living out our oikos, we're talking about his harvest field That is, we're seeking to see happen here. And so if it's his field, which it is, we should be praying to the Lord of the harvest to bring in not only the people, but also to send out laborers because this is his strategy. He uses people to reach people. He sees the need. How, am I gonna, how are we going to reach the needs of all these people in this city of Lyditz? coolest small town in America? He's going to send us out there. He's already sending us out there. There are some of you in this room who are results of people who have done just that, shared Jesus with you. Think about the person who shared Jesus with you that brought you to the Lord and how you get to be that person for someone else. If the greatest gift that you ever received was salvation through Jesus Christ, what, therefore, is the greatest gift you could share with someone else? That same gift. And so God is calling, as he said, in order to, to send out enough laborers, he said, pray for laborers. It's almost like the person who sees a house burning, rather than running with a bucket of water, he turns around and calls the fire department to come. And so he's saying to the disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that laborers would go out to meet the need of that, that we've just seen out there. One of the things that, um, a pet peeve, I guess you would call it. I'm I'm probably going to step on a few toes here, but at the end of the prayer, when someone says, in your name. How about using the name? In the name of Jesus Christ, this is the person who made it possible for me to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And so rather than praying to the Father and, 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 oh, in your name, kind of trailing out. I come to you in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for me so that I can know God in a personal way and use those personal names in not just a theological way, but in a relational way. When you think about your prayers this week, think about how you refer to God. In a few minutes, when we talk about going outside and praying, how can you have a message about prayer and not challenge people to pray, right? This is one of those cool times where we actually do (laughs) what we're talking about. And so we, in a few moments, will go outside and actually pray. But Jesus didn't stop there because he realizes, and we need to realize, that prayer is not an end in itself. Prayer is often the catalyst for something else, and oftentimes we become even the answer to the prayer that we sometimes pray. So if you look at the beginning of chapter 10 in Matthew... I'm just going to highlight the beginning of this first paragraph in a couple of words. John, uh, Matthew 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. Okay, but wait, that was happening back in Matthew 4, wasn't it? Well, all through these chapters, he's calling, and, but now he is making it official. And you see how he makes it official by naming them. And he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And he names them. Verse 5, these 12, Jesus sent out. You know, the word missionary comes from the Latin word meaning sent one. One who is sent. Think about an ambassador. You know, how many ambassadors does the United States have in the United States? Well, the answer should be zero, but actually it's one. We have one in the United Nations. But the idea is that an ambassador is someone who is sent from somewhere with two things, authority and a message. An ambassador goes out with authority and with a message. And so, too, we are sent out. And he says here, I am sending you out with the following instructions. And look at the end of verse 5, I think, if freely you have received, freely give. Anyone who's taken the perspectives class will we'll finish this phrase, we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing, and Jesus is sending out his disciples. But he, notice he says, pray for laborers. Now go. Here's my question. Here's one of my questions for you. Are you willing to pray for God to send out laborers? Because the answer might be in your mirror. As someone who is actively training missionaries to go to the field, one of the biggest obstacles to people going to the mission field are parents of those people who say, Lord, send someone to the mission field, just not my child. That's a little bit scary for me. And by the way, our oldest daughter and her son-in-law and our two granddaughters are getting ready to go to the mission field next summer. Praise the Lord. (laughs) We pray for our laborers. We need to ask... Sincerely, and be willing to pay the price, whether it be our own price or that of someone else. And we are going to be praying just for this. Uh, was have you ever heard those? Remember in high school when you had those assemblies? Um, everyone gathers together. Some I don't know if they, around Lancaster County, but the the one I re, one I refer to is when. The, uh, four army, for the, the four branches of the military would come to recruit. Okay, and they were, at this particular time, they were each given 15 minutes. The army guy, you have 15 minutes, Navy, Air Force, Marine. The army guy gets up and talks about how great it is to be in the army. He goes on and on and on, and he goes over time. Navy guy gets up, he goes over time. Air Force guy, he goes over time. So by the time it's time for the Marine recruiter to get up, there are only two minutes left. And he stands up here, and for the first minute, he looks around without saying a word making eye contact with as many people as possible. As I look around this world, this room today, I see there are only a few people who could possibly make it in the Marines. You know who you are, see me afterwards. (laughs) As I look around this room today, I know there are many who should be praying, and some who will be called to go? Questions to to wrap up with as we get ready to go outside and pray. Um, First of all, what things keep you from seeing what Jesus wants you to see? What things keep you from seeing the needs of others? Secondly, are you willing to pray for God to send laborers? Because if so, how would you feel if he asked you to be one of them or perhaps your child? And how do you hear God speak to you It's not the same for everyone. But until you know how how you're hearing God, how are you going to have confidence that it's him that you're hearing? So I encourage you, this is probably another message to go another time, but learn how to be good listeners of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. O Lord of the harvest, we beseech you to send out laborers even from here at LEFC. You know us individually. You know us collectively. You know our desire to glorify your name. Help us to be willing. Help us to be available. Help us to seek to hear from you. We know that in your word you say that you reward those who believe that you exist and that, you, that earnestly seek after you. Help us to earnestly seek after you. This we pray in Jesus' most precious name, amen.